This is Mud Men, Episode 3, Mud Millennials. I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Laura Benavides. In just under a decade, Laura has gone from lab technician to R&D in North America for drilling fluids products to working in uh, international projects in Holland and Europe to Latin America to joining a startup with six people and becoming vice president of technology at Integrity Mining and Industrial. We're going to talk about entering the industry with uh, very little knowledge of what the heck drilling is and uh, growing and being fearless and uh, adopting culture. And there's so much that Laura is going to talk about today. I'm excited to have her on. Hi, I'm Brock Yorty, and this is Mud Men. And I'm really excited today because we're going to shift out of this whole Mud Man thing and get into uh, discussing the industry as a whole. And I have uh, a great colleague and friend who is not a Mud Man, but a Mud Woman and uh, a fierce one at that. Uh, Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Laura Benavides, and uh, me and Brock used to work together in the past. I've heard about this podcast, just really excited to get here and talk about my experiences working for an oil and gas company, as well as a mud company and now a mining company. Well, excellent. Well, let's get into it. Laura, how the heck did did you get into drilling and fluids and mud and mining what were you studying uh, in college? Or was this something as a little girl, you're like, I like playing in mud. This seems like what I want to do. Actually, I never knew this industry existed, which is probably not the right thing to say. But, you know, I grew up in Houston, Texas. And of course, I knew oil and gas was huge in Texas. You hear about getting out of college and working for that route or working for any of the big oil companies. Um, I actually went to college at University of Texas and I was studying biochemistry to go into the pre-med route. But around junior year, I decided that I didn't want four more years of college and I really wanted to get into industry, but I was not enthused by becoming just a lab tech and you know, repeating experiments, the same thing every day. Um, So my senior year, I had been applying everywhere. um, And we actually had an info session from one of the most prominent oil and gas companies at the time. Um, So Dr. Charlie Landis was doing the info session. And he explained that there was such a thing as drilling mud and bentonite and that he was looking to hire a chemist who was going to discover the next 12 uses of bentonite aside from everything that it's currently in. So makeup, fire extinguishers, you know. And so I was like, hmm, that's very interesting. So I went home that evening. I did some research. I decided that that was a cool thing to do. Not something I had ever looked into, of course, but I applied. Um, after that, I got, I ended up getting the position and my world was just changed. You know, I went from being a complete city girl, you know, 
never really looking to be on a drill side or anything like that to actually really enjoying that. Um, so I started traveling. I, I did start in the laboratory and like Charlie said, our goal in that lab was to create new uses for bentonite, but primarily my interest led to the technical services on the drilling side. So that meant that um, I was still drilling research and development, and I did end up creating a few products for horizontal drilling and stuff like that. But what I really enjoyed was I would make something in the lab and then I would talk to one of our sales reps and go out and actually see it perform. So that opened me up to the customer experience as well, meeting drillers, uh, people who don't necessarily know why the mud works the way it does, but they just know you've got this rep out here and he's going to help you. So I started being excited about, you know, the training aspect of it, the customer interaction aspect of it. And actually the sites, you know, I, I got to go out to HDD rigs, water wells, um, mining, wireline coring exploration that I thought, you know, you get to love your products like, oh, this product works so beautifully. Uh, this core is so beautiful. And just seeing beauty on things that I never would have seen before as a city girl. Tell me about one of the first times you went out on a drilling site. What was that experience like? Yeah. So um, I went out, I think one of my first experiences was probably um, in North Carolina. I went out to a horizontal drilling operation there and um, the drillers were super kind, just very excited to have help. Uh, they were dealing with a really bad clay issue. So um, I'm sure you talk on your podcast and on your articles about how bad clay can be. Um, so our products were meant to mitigate those problems. But you have drillers who are not going to be very precise and like, okay, only add a quarter cup of this polymer or make sure you're dealing with the proper order of addition and all the things we preach. And they're like, you know, your stuff didn't work. And so it was kind of eye-opening to me to always be following the rules or following a book that tells you exactly what to do to see how is it going to be done in the real life application. And I think also as a lab person, you know, in my lab, I had the best mixing equipment. I had high shear. In reality, they had little paddles that weren't going to get you there. So I think the first place that I went was probably eye-opening into, okay, I need to be creating things that are actually going to work for these people. It's actually going to be functional where they can understand me when I say, why do you need order of addition? Why do you need to do this? But also I'm not requiring you to have fancy equipment or to understand, you know, the basics behind the chemistry of the polymer in order to succeed at your drill site. So I think that the drillers I've encountered have always been very willing to explain the issues they're facing, to provide samples and water. And um, once I got into the hang of trying to do things that were realistic to them, it got a lot easier. It's a, That's interesting that you bring it up that way, because we, we as an industry, we have practical field application, and then we have 
the science and engineering aspect, and we try very hard to merge them. But there's oftentimes where we misalign or that coming up of, you know, this is the way we mix it. You got to deal with it. And uh, it's very cool to hear you say these things because as we're developing products, it's as important as uh, the driller or the the rep that is taking it out with the the lab and the expertise to pick the right customer, right? To uh, pick that customer that can be a champion of the product and not say it's broke. I've had rigs that we've taken out that are brand new technology that I believed was bulletproof. Yeah. And then something fails on it. And they find and a like, way to make it not bulletproof. Right, <laughs> They're right. like, oh, you think that one thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's the collaboration is what's always yeah. excited me. Right. And don't get me wrong. I've been to job sites where I've made the most beautiful mud in one tank and we drive out and in my rear view mirror, he's putting the hose back in the water tank using water only, you know, so it's definitely not always uh, rainbows and butterflies. But I also think it's the way that you explain it to them. Like uh, we always used to do mud schools and you could see with certain presentations dealing about the chemistry behind the gel strength and why it happens, their eyes would glaze over. Whereas you'd have some sales rep go up there and, you know, use a fun lingo, tell a fun story, and then they're excited about it. So it's all about, you know, just like you said, collaboration, making sure that everyone's on the same page. You're not making people feel like they don't understand, but you're trying to help them at the level that they need to with the equipment that they have. So you transition out of uh, the lab in the field and where did you go next? So actually I got the opportunity to go overseas for a few years. Uh, My experience at that company uh, allowed me to go be an expat in the Netherlands, also doing um, the same type of work, going to field sites, for in the, in their in that company actually got to do tunneling which is something we don't do much in Texas um, or on the sites I had in the US but actually in the Netherlands you know they're tunneling all the time <laughs> so I got to do micro tunneling and tunneling that was exciting to open my eyes to that still did mining um, in Turkey and in Spain um, and I ran the lab quality control lab for a company in the Netherlands for a while. Um, And then I moved back over to the States and I actually joined an oil and gas company working on completions chemicals. Um, That would have been back in 2015. A new company called Integrity Biochem. So that's where I've been since then. Uh, However, in 2019, I became the VP of technology for their new mining group. Um, So ever since January of 2019, we've branched off to Integrity Mining. And uh, so I think that's probably a lot, a big transition there. But now I'm back to what I truly love. I did love my time in oil and gas, but I think my experience was more into mining and industrial. And so now I'm back doing that. I now more customer facing, but I still do the project management, directing the lab on what we need and kind of seeing what the customers want and then trying to see if our lab can create that. So let's circle back a little bit. Talk about, you know, growing up in the States and, uh, you know, working in, you know, good old Wild West cowboy oil and gas 
drilling market and then going to Europe. How is mud handled in Europe and uh, getting on tunneling projects? And just tell us about that experience. So it's different, but it's also a small world, which I learned. <laughs> so I feel like this industry just teaches you so much about people. Um, so when I got there, I was shocked by the fact that now we don't have this wonderful Wyoming bentonite based mud, but you have to deal with Greek or Turkish bentonite, which is not the same. <laughs> You're not going to get the beautiful properties. So of course, I was doing research and development there as well, trying to see how we could beneficiate that into products that were actually going to perform similar to American products. But that was the first hurdle. Um, also, these big sites, these tunneling jobs, they have, and also construction, you know, um, auger drilling, that type of thing. They have large now needs. So it's not a small mud tank that you need. You need thousands of liters of material. So you also need a product that can withstand low shear. It's not going to gel up on you in a ginormous <laughs> tank. Um, and dealing with also language barriers. Um, ah. Even though I might be in the Netherlands, of course, I don't speak Dutch, but even if you had a Dutch salesman, he's still going to try to sell products to Russia and Turkey. And uh, our mother company at the time was in Greece. So you either need drillers who speak English or you need a translator on site. You know, um, I went to Spain for a site, but one of the colleagues I had with me spoke Spanish. I spoke Spanish, but if you didn't, they would have needed a translator. So that was just, that took what we were discussing earlier on a whole new level. Now you're trying to work with them with what they have, not in their language. Um, but like I've found going from oil and gas to mining in my current position, this industry, mining, industrial, horizontal, water wells, whatever, is much more collaborative than oil and gas. You know, even if the driller might not believe what you're telling him, they are going to welcome you there. Like everyone's been always so kind and interested in at least what you're saying while you're there. <laughs> they might switch to water when you leave, but they're going to tell you the experiences they've had, the problems they're facing. You know, it's all about asking the right questions. That's what I learned at my first job. Um, they always said, make sure you ask the right questions when you're talking to people. Cause even if they seem like you haven't broken the ice with them yet, maybe they're in a different language. If you can get to the root of the problem, most likely you'll find out why your product isn't working or what you can help them with. So what are the right questions? Um, I think making sure that you know um, what, what are they actually drilling through? You know, you think, oh, I have a product for clay, but is it really clay? Like I've run into that in my current position. We've gone out and spent thousands of dollars on third-party testing just to find out, oh, actually there was no clay in that sample we sent you. We sampled it from the wrong ore pile, you know. Um, what is the water conditions where these people are at? Um, I've had drill sites in Wyoming and Arizona where we've had to truck water in from far away. Uh, it, also in Europe, you know, maybe the water is doesn't have the optimum pH for what you're dealing with. Um, how many people work here? Uh, 
what are there shifts so when you do a shift change is the guy coming on going to know what your mod plan was um because otherwise you have to restart every eight hours um What's the equipment like? Like I mentioned before, are you having low shear? Do you have the optimum shear you had in your lab? Probably not. What do they have on site? Are they recycling? Um, things that really, <laughs> when I first started, I would go out there and realize, oh, they're not recycling? Like you thought that that was common. Everyone did it. And then it's like, actually, some people can't do that. So um, just making sure that you know as much as you can before you go out there. So they don't think that, you know, their job site wasn't important enough to you to find that out. And then when you're there troubleshooting with what they have and asking, okay, why do you do it this way? Because maybe people who are drillers who have been there for 40 years might know more than the 25 year old <laughs> mud guy, you know, and you learn a lot from them as well. That's all great insight. It's, it is very important for us to, you know, just continue to ask discovery questions. Uh, you and I both worked with a gentleman, Brian Coles, and Brian was, a lot of people thought was a hard ass, but was my favorite person in the world to ask questions. Yeah. Like I would purposely put myself on conference calls with either him or Jeff yeah. and uh, have a notebook and any question Brian would ask, I'd write it down. So the next time I could ask that question and it would even be fun for me to ask those questions before Brian could. So then I could see what he was going to ask next that would help us, you know, and uh, he would always say, even if we're in different languages, drilling all has one language. Like there is a very similar, it brings us together. It makes us, you know, this, uh, this community and you're right. It is a small community. Yeah. Yeah, and it's collaborative. I mean, even in the mining space, which is what I'm doing primarily now, I'm doing a lot more mineral processing aside from what we do on the drilling side. I mean, it's not that you want to hide. You Obviously, a lot of people keep proprietary information on their products or who their clients are. But even when you're talking to other chemical suppliers, people are willing to have a open discussions and everybody knows everybody else. And I just love that part of the industry for sure. So what's the, uh, what's the big innovation that you'd love to see our industry move to? Is there a laser out there? Is there a rock melter? What is it? <laughs> oh, that's uh, put me on the spot with that one. And I feel like there's so much that we're doing, but that we could do. Um, I think on the drilling side, probably you would want to have products that aren't so susceptible to the elements or to the mixing conditions, maybe like some sort of easy throw it in and it's going to work in a wide variety of applications. Cause I feel like right now you still have to do a lot of fine tuning depending on the geology that you're in or the, um, the area geographically that you're in. I'd like to see more e easily applicable products um, that maybe, oh, even if the processed water is a pH of five or a pH of 11, you could use this one product. 
I know that that's what excites us as mud men to not have that scenario. Cause I remember every day is different was part of the reason why I love this job. But I think for the drillers themselves, it'd be easier to just have one product, which might be pie in the sky, but. <laughs> I, I agree. I see, we see it right now in the industry where we're seeing single stack systems or we're seeing some polymer companies come out with, you know, technology that is, um, you know, a couple, a long chain and a short chain in the same bag. And uh, that's going to be the one size fits all. And we always know the reason that, you know, we shift from saying, you know, you know, mud salesman to mud engineer or drilling fluids engineer is because it isn't a one size fits all. And we'll always have diverse geologies and, you know, transitions and things that are going to make it more complex. Um, it is weird that we're trying to simplify complexity, but we have to find, we have to find something there so we can be more successful. And it's, uh, it's recognizing that. Yes, for sure. So you're doing mining now. Yes. In the wet. So where you been in the, uh, where have you been for mining? And you can just say some States. You don't have to say um, or anything. Right. I go to, so we actually have a flotation laboratory in Tucson, Arizona. That's where we also do a lot of our water treatment testing. So I've been to Arizona um, several times. Also go out to Nevada a lot, Elko, Nevada, um, Salt Lake City, and Canada. That's primarily where we've been. Excellent. So how do you like, now you're vice president. So how long have you been in the industry now? Um, about 10 years, I think. Yep. And like earlier in, in this uh, start, you're killing it. You, you know, 10 years, you're, uh, you're running R&D and looking at new products and vice president of a group. Thank you. Uh, what advice would you give just college students in general looking to get into this industry? So um, I know I'm on here to discuss women in the industry. I would tell women and girls and college students in general, but firstly, I'll talk about the women. Um, oh. Don't be afraid of this industry. Don't be afraid of oil and gas either. Come out here, be strong, be yourself. Um, I think that's one thing that's very important. You know, you have these things telling women to lean in and don't be afraid to be bossy and don't be afraid to, you know, act tough. And it's like, not necessarily that you have to do that. I think that I'm a very sweet disposition kind of person. I don't want to come in and command the room because I like to be myself. And I think a lot of girls are maybe afraid that if they don't have that tough, I'm going to act like a man demeanor, they might not make it in this industry. And there are a lot of normal women in this industry. You don't have to um, be someone you're not to make it. Do you go on drill sites or oil and gas sites and maybe someone looks at you like you don't know what you're talking about? Yes. Um, I don't know if that's because I'm a woman or because I'm young. So don't, I would say another thing is don't let it get to you. I've talked to young men my age who also go on job sites and they were treated like they didn't know what they were talking about. Whereas maybe I would have taken that personally because I'm a girl they kind of shrug that off. So I think that's one thing we can learn from the guys. And I think in general, you're going to have drillers or 
workers who they've been doing this for 40 years. You don't know better than them, regardless of who you are. So college students trying to come in and learn need to be able to join this industry, need to be able to understand that you're not going to know better but maybe you can learn too. And you can ask the right questions and you can develop something new and figure out what's exciting in everyday situations. Because when you're on a mud pit, I mean, everything's brown. You're not gonna see gold chunks. (laughs) Like this isn't the wild west, but you know that what you're doing is exciting. So it's more of thinking about physically and emotionally what you're doing and why gets you through those tough moments, I would say. So don't be afraid. Like I was someone who didn't know this industry existed. So that's also something. Don't be afraid to find something new that you don't know much about because the way you learn is by doing. And as long as you're true to yourself, you figure out the big picture of why you're doing things, you're gonna succeed. I couldn't agree more. That was, uh, that was perfectly, you know, put, um, you know, so I'm 40. Right. And, uh, when we worked together, you know, I was in my thirties, you know, and in the 10 years, like when, when I turned 40, I was like, all right, Hey industry, I'm an adult now. I'm yeah. not, like you can't just, uh, I have a lot of gray, uh, right. you can't just go, I've been drilling longer than you've been alive, kid. Or and okay. we, we have that culture. We 100% have that culture. And it comes from practical field knowledge of repeating the same thing over and over and over. And um, to build on what you said about uh, coming in and, and learning, I truly believe there's embracing what's happening in the field and yeah. knowing where where your customer, your driller, your engineer, your chemist, your R&D person that's coming in, we all have to step back and say, where are these people coming from? And then second, we're all discovering the unknown together, regardless if we have logs or not. If we're drilling down or we're drilling to the side, you know, there's something there that's not, you know, short of us being astronauts and, you know, what's happening way smarter than me up in space, you know, we're, we're still discovering the unknown. So I've always said, don't be afraid to question everything, you know, that's uh, and my daughter, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I enjoy about her at four and a half is like questions, everything. My two and a half year old is why, right? you know, and I want them to keep that going. So, uh, I think that's great. And it's a, it shows, um, you know, from not knowing much other than being part of Texas and oil and gas is a large part of Texas. Right. Yeah. To, uh, you know, that's a heck of an adventure, Laura, to go from Houston to, you know, across the country to across the pond to, you know, a whole new polymer company working in mining is impressive. Um, what would you say about choosing, like you've, you've gotten the opportunity to choose some, some roles, right? You know, you, uh, 
you didn't find yourself looking for a job when the opportunity to go to, you know, Holland came up, you know, it was something that you went, I want this adventure. What would you give for advice to people about that? So that's a great, a great point. I feel like all of my transitions have kind of fallen in my lap. And at some points you think, am I lucky or did I earn this? And it's hard to, and it's easy to kind of get in that, in that mindset. But I think that it comes with hard work and realizing where the opportunities are. So when the opportunity to came to go to Holland came, actually things in the US were very exciting. Uh, we were going to start picking up mining. I had been offered, you know, to expand my role in Latin America as the tech service person there because I spoke Spanish. So going to Europe was a hard decision. Um, and I feel like you have to be able to see the opportunities when they are presented to you and then feel like you didn't just luck into it, but your hard work in your current role and working as hard as you can every day there is going to show people, hey, let's offer her this and try to weigh your options and see what's next. So as someone, like you said, who had just been in Houston, um, and never because I went to college in Austin, came back to Houston for my job and then thought, gosh, you know, I was applying all over the country, but I ended up in Houston, not because I wanted to. But so as someone who wanted to just leave Texas, <laughs> um, I thought, well, things are exciting here, but let me just take this chance. So, of course, I go to Europe. Things are now bad in about 2015. There was a crisis in oil and gas. Everybody was cutting their losses. Um, I thought if I didn't come home, maybe I wouldn't have a job when I got back. Um, so I came back home. And then six months later, they reached out to me from Integrity Biocap. That was a really bad decision to make because uh, this oil and gas company had just put so much faith in me to send me to Holland and bring me back and give me a really good role. And I was going to leave for a startup, you know, like during a downturn. So that was very stressful decision to make. Um, I, I kind of had the feeling that I wasn't going to be laid off, although you never know. Um, but I wanted, but because I was having those thoughts, I wanted to leave and leave my spot open for someone who maybe never wanted to be laid off. Um, so I went to the startup, which was very scary. And I think making that decision, I would tell people, don't be afraid to take risks because it was very risky to leave a million dollar company to go to a startup with like six guys, including Charlie Landis, who gave me my first job. And now we've grown to over 50 employees and four business units. Um, so I think in in five years, six years since I joined them, uh, we've done a lot. And being able to start at the ground floor and be one of the people who really helped bring this company up. And now looking back at everything we've done, especially being young and having that on my resume, I think is something that had I been afraid of the downturn in 2015 and stayed where I was, I probably wouldn't have gained such a wealth of knowledge, you know? Um, not to say that it's bad to stay at the same company. I'm not saying that. 
I just think that if you find something exciting, but you don't do it because you're scared, you're potentially limiting yourself because you don't know when that next opportunity is going to come. So me never leaving Houston to go to college in Austin when I was a shy 18-year-old girl would have probably never allowed me to leave to go to the Netherlands, you know? So first step, get out of your comfort zone, maybe move to a new city or a new zip code, you know? Second step, take that opportunity to go out of state. And if you're feeling like someone threw an opportunity in your lap, whatever that may be, but you might not have what it takes, you might not have the experience, just go for it. Who's ever offering it to you obviously trusts you enough to try to give you that chance, you know, people say that men fail on their way up, because they're not afraid to take chances. I want women to do that. I want everyone to do that. Don't be afraid to fail, because you're gonna like, (laughs) you're gonna mess up, you're gonna have your boss yell at you, you're gonna have a drill site, like get clogged up, something bad is gonna happen in your career. So you can't take each step avoiding that you have to just try your best so i hope that makes sense to your no, that, that is wonderful advice i think everybody can look right now with covid yeah last year and you can see the the man that runs that company showed his shareholders how to cut a billion dollars worth of cost in the middle of a pandemic and um in the time that I worked there, you know, he was a vice president of the fluid side and there were other things that had happened that were similar. And it's it's right for some companies that to have leaders that do that. It's just uh, like when I listen to Simon or, you know, some of the other great, you know, inspirational people that are leadership people. You know, I want to I want to work for somebody that's, you know, looking at people's hearts. And I think this will be my last question to you. You mentioned, you said, uh, I went to work with the man that uh, he recruited me back that recruited you originally in college. And I admire the hell out of Charlie Landis Mm -hmm. and his vision and his uh, ability to embrace um, young talent or millennials or listen and collaborate on a level that many, you know, early Gen Xers or late boomers are incapable of. And um, I love Charlie's vision. So obviously when he came calling, that was part of the reason it was, you could say, yeah, I think I'll try this startup, right? Definitely. Yes. I mean, honestly, the group we were in IDP, as you mentioned, I loved and the downturns, they have an effect on people emotionally, you know, that's not anybody's fault. Um, And I didn't leave because of anybody there. I just left because like you said, this opportunity was so great. So of course, Charlie um, was a big part of why I was able to risk leaving because I trusted him. Um, Like you said, he was somebody who hired me straight out of college and always hired girls and guys, you know, he didn't have a preference. He was looking out to hire the best person for the job. And actually now he's the chief technology officer for um, Integrity Biochem and all our business units, which includes the mining group. But he's still actively hiring 
young people. So we have some new chemists out of A&M. Everybody in our lab is a millennial. I mean, uh, he or or the new Z people, I don't know where the cutoff is, but um, the lab is an exciting place to be. I mean, obviously you have a huge age gap in this industry. And I think that at the old company, the, there was a, maybe a bunch of 20 year olds that they wanted to hire fresh out of college and then a bunch of 60 year olds and few in between, which I think when I was there was you and Ryan and a few other people who I saw struggle with. Y'all had 10 years on me and the other guys were telling you, you didn't know anything, you know, I was like, damn, so do I, what do I know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) If they don't know and they're teaching me then. And I think that, as a boomer or as a, you can't do that. I mean, you have to be willing to take the young people under your wing. And it's like that catch 22 that they say when college kids are applying to jobs, you need 10 years experience, but you're literally coming out of college (laughs) for entry level. They want you to have 10 years experience, you know? And I think that that's something that as a manager, Charlie was always great at, um, And now more so as a mentor to me and a colleague, he still reviews reports, tells me, you know, what I need to be looking into, um, ideas for research. He's always very collaborative and he's known in the industry because he reaches out to younger folks, maybe not even at our company um, and says, hey, you're doing great. Um, He goes to present to them, you know, he's amiable, very like outgoing. And uh, I think that that's what we need. Um, And then anybody coming up, don't let people get you down by saying you don't have experience. Keep trudging along and eventually you'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I I pick on the boomers a lot, but my greatest mentors are boomers. And I couldn't be the professional I am. And then, you know, we look at Charlie or I look at the ones that immediately grabbed me under my wing. And some of these guys were unapproachable to many people. You know, uh, Bob Brown, traveling Latin America and Western United States with Bob Brown, I was scared. And when I got my first car ride with him to go from Salt Lake City to Elko and we, we laughed about some stuff and I just realized like his passion and, uh, Sure, he wanted to hold everybody accountable, but he also answered anything I could possibly ask. And so now when I transition into the later years of my career, which I'm still a kid at 40, so I guess maybe 60 I'm middle-aged for the industry. I don't know how this works. I yeah. want I want to be a Charlie. I want yeah. to be a, you know, Bob. I I want to do the same that they did for me to continue to open doors and cultivate and you as a vice president of you know mining for integrity you have this awesome opportunity yeah Um, I think it's it's great you mentioned Bob um I think another point I want to make is don't pigeonhole yourself into a certain position because 
when I was at um, IDP, Charlie was the lab, the head of the lab, but he was traveling. He was going to job sites. He was training. Uh, Bob was, I don't even know what his role was, business development. I mean, traveling all around the world, training, talking to people. And I wanted that, but there was no role that fit that, you know? And so as I grow my career, yes, my title is VP, but it's, lucky that I'm at the type of company that I am right now where you can design your own role. So I can say, hey, I like customer interaction, but not so much sales. I'm not like a built salesman, you know, some people have that talent. I don't. Um, I like the lab, but I don't want to be a technician. So my strengths are project management, customer training, technical service. And I found kind of mold in my own role to what my strengths are. So obviously entry level, you're not going to be able to do that. But as you grow, look at people that you like what they do and try to figure out, okay, how can I go down that same path? And for me, that was a Charlie or a Bob uh, traveling and, and customer interaction. That's what I really loved. It's uh, it's bridging the gap. Sure, you're not in sales, but you just assisted with the sale. Sure, you don't want to be in the lab, you know, watching, you know, a six-speed rheometer for hours on end, but you have to be able to bridge that information back because you understand why we're getting that information. Uh, and that final piece that clicked for me when I was sitting in an office in Eden, Oklahoma, looking at drawings of a drill rig and going... The only way we can do this is for me to be standing on a job site watching it turn to the right. Yeah. Or, uh, to be successful in this industry, you have to figure out how to spend 50% of your time in the field. If your boots aren't muddy, you're not relevant and you're not, you're not innovating the next piece because the tribe, why this is called drillers tribe, drillers gas, mud men, is the idea that the tribal knowledge that's happening in the field can't be replicated anywhere else. Sometimes not even in a photo. Right. You know, it's, when things don't seem right, go get muddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. And actually your career uh, from me watching on the sidelines is actually something I really admire too. I mean, doing your, your own job and then having the podcast, doing the stuff for National Driller. I mean, finding things you're passionate about and doing them on the side, I think that's something I really admire and, and would like to do as well. Do it. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to sign up for a podcast and grab a microphone. <laughs> um, I reflect on the first couple episodes and I'm like, uh, the audio is not good or, you know, and we're such a disruptive industry. So it's not as important as if I was listening to Sirius XM, but all of it is to share the knowledge to share the knowledge that um, Charlie and Bob and Brian and Ed and Jeff and Dave and all of these great men and women across the industry have taught me and we don't share enough, right? And so then it's like, you're in Elko, Nevada and you're like, we could have solved this with what happened in upstate New York or vice versa. And like you said, it's a small community, but if we're not sharing this, we're not progressing. And that's yeah. why it's wonderful to bring you on and talk about from a, a female perspective, but also just the technical and passion. You know, it's uh, 
when people ask me about should I go into this industry that are, you know, young geologists or chemists or, you know, friends that go, whoa, it's cool to go to Chile. It's cool to go to Peru. It's, you know, it's it's spiritual to make water come out of the ground. I say, if, if it excites you, if you're passionate about it, do it. You know, if it's, uh, if it's not exciting and, you know, looking at numbers and trading and watching a stock portfolio grow is exciting do that because really it's uh you gotta love your job yes and um i have to shout out to my current ceo jimmy jett and our staff right now charlie landis will gibbs i mean these people make it exciting to get up in the morning you don't set an alarm clock and then dread rolling out of bed you know even during covid yeah we're stuck at home maybe traveling less than we used to but you're excited to talk to your customers. You're excited to figure out what new product rollout is going to be and and why you're doing it and looking at data, even if it's a fail. Um, every day you wake up, you have a purpose. I think that that's what anyone should aim to do. Absolutely. So uh, any elevator pitch or any other words of advice for uh, the next generation coming in? Yes, I think just... Do what you love, and you might not know what you love when you're in college. Like I said, I didn't know this industry existed. Take a chance on your first job and find a passion in it. I think maybe millennials were hurt when they say, you know, do your passion, and you think you're 18 and your passion's art. Okay, <laughs> maybe not that, but find a passion in, in what you do every day, and you're going to eventually find your path. Um so that would be my my advice to the next generation. And then as far as my current role, um, I've gone from drilling into mineral processing and having to learn more about that. So every time you get something new doesn't necessarily change your path, but just adds on to what you're doing and adds on to your knowledge base. Well, awesome. Thank you for coming on today. This has been a pleasure. I I said earlier before we hit record, uh, we need to do more press and discussions about women in drilling and women in the construction industry as a whole. And I don't know if I'm that qualified guy, but I'm excited that you got to um, share all this great knowledge with us today. And I, I appreciate it. So thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. It was great. Excellent. This is uh, Mud Men, episode three of Drillers Tribe, Drillers Cast. Uh, Catch us on our next one. You can see us on uh, our Facebook groups with the trolls or uh, the website Drillers Tribe, D-R-I-L-L-E-R-S-T-R-I-B-E.com. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe and stay warm.